Hey everybody and welcome. This is going to be Treks and Sci-Fi number 455. My name is Chris Clemente. You've heard me before. And um, with me is uh, my friend up in Philly. Uh, go hey everybody. This is Joby Drone from the forums. Joby, nice to be here. Thanks Chris for doing this. No problem. Um, and today we're going to be talking about um, Stephen King. Uh, which Rico did make a joke last week that we were doing an eight-hour podcast. No, we won't be doing an eight-hour podcast. But this is sort of an introduction to Stephen King for for us. I don't know if anybody's covered Stephen King on the podcast before. I don't think so. So what I figured was, you know, we could come back to Stephen King a few times. Yeah, well, I mean, we talked about different ways to do it. And my first idea had been kind of like the one that you did with Rico on superhero films, which was another one where you, you know, have a whole heck of a lot to talk about in a short time period. Uh, And, you know, we could you you wound up doing like a rapid fire, like you covered a ton of things with like, you know, maybe a two minute synopsis on each movie or even like 20 second synopsis on each movie. But I I think I agree with uh, the format that you you came up with and just kind of covering a few things and maybe coming back to it yeah. if, if people enjoy it over a period of uh, time. And uh, my idea was I thought that way we could focus on the real good stuff this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we could, like I said, we could come back and do the Dark Tower. We can do the stand. I mean, the Dark Tower is um, epic. So, I mean, that, that the Dark Tower definitely deserves its own podcast. There's just so much there. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things you keep hearing that someday it's going to be a TV show or a movie or whatever. But Yeah, Ron Howard apparently yeah. is very interested in uh, getting the thing uh, on film. Uh, and I, I really loved the idea that they were uh, proposing for The Dark Tower where they were going to do a TV series and a movie. So they would, like, do a movie and then a season of TV series while they were filming the next movie and then they do the next – I mean, that seemed like just too good to be true, and I guess it was, because that's, hap- that's not happening anymore. Yeah, yeah and I, I heard all that, and, and, and to be honest with you, I mean, it's just, I mean, we've seen now that uh, things can be adapted well with Lord of the Rings and um, certainly Game of Thrones on HBO. I mean, uh, that's just about as good an adaptation as you could hope for, for such a dense novel. They do such a great job on that show. That sets the bar pretty high, for sure. It sure does. So, I mean, you know, and, and, and Stephen King um, TV uh, movies and most most movies, you know, you got like a spotty record there as far as um, quality. What are you talking about? They're all awesome. Mm, and, yeah, if, yeah. <laughs> What what was it? Uh, what was that one? The Langoliers, where Bronson Pinchot is screaming about the little girl. You're first scaring the little girl. Wait a second, you didn't like the Langoliers? Oh, the Langoliers was awesome. Yeah, that well, was one of the better ones. Well, you could because the idea was so good. Yeah, the Langoliers was such a great concept. It was almost impossible to mess it up. Just the the concept of uh, you know going back in time for five minutes to see to realize that there are horrible giant creatures that actually eat all the abandoned yeah. uh, stuff that's left behind when people's consciousness move consciousnesses move forward in time. That's just brilliant. Like what kind of 
the guy was on some massive drugs when he thought of that idea. Yeah, sure. it's definitely, I mean, that's the thing with Stephen King. I mean, um, you can't really say that he's derivative. <laughs> I mean, you know. I, to, a, to an extent. I mean, there are definitely, uh, you know, themes that he uh, returns to that he didn't he, he, over and over again that he did not originate. Um, oh, sure. I think we'll talk about that as we talk about some of these books. But uh, he's also, I mean, just the fact that uh, the guy writes two, three books a year most years. And, I mean, you know, a lot of those ideas, you know, some of them are misfires, but the majority of them are really brilliant, creative things that you're like, how the heck did he think of that? Yeah. And what he always is is readable. I mean, you know, I never... I don't think I've ever read a Stephen King book where I got like through like halfway through and went, yeah, I'm not going to finish this. You know, you always finish them because you read them. Fair. I always read his books. I'd say, fairly quickly. Um, he's got a, a, a way of making you continue to turn the page for sure. So. Yeah, you look at you look at some of his books and they're almost a thousand pages long, and you can read them in in you know in no time because it's like eating potato chips or something. Yeah. Well. It's potato chips that, you know, I've been eating for like 25 years now. So it's like, you know, it's like, it's crazy that it's been that long (laughs) because I'm kind of hard. It's hard to come to grips with approaching, you know, middle age or being middle aged, I guess. I said to somebody, I said to somebody today, a friend, I said, I think I'm about about middle aged. And he's like, no, you're not. I go, well, I'm 39. How how old do you think I'm going to live to be? I mean, you know. (laughs) I mean, it would be nice to think you could live to be a hundred, but that's not usually the case. So, you know, it's. It... I prefer not to label myself, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna join you there and just say I'm uh, I'm the right age for what I am. <laughs> and this so is how my... old were you? How old were you when you read your first Stephen King book? I want to say it's hard. To, I think I'm gonna say fourteen, thirteen to fourteen. Yeah, um, me, too. me too. That's and... about the time. And probably it was, um, I think it was Christine. Um, I can't remember because there was, after that, it was kind of like a slew. But I, I, we, you asked me to pick some of my favorite books, which I did. And the reason that they actually became my favorites was not really because of how great they are. It's just because of the time. What happened to me when I was about uh, 14 and a half was I got chicken pox, which, if you know, the older you are, the worse it is. And if you're a teenager, it can be pretty awful. So I was actually laid up at home for about two or three weeks. I don't remember exactly how long, but they wouldn't let me come back to school. And I looked horrible. And I didn't want to go back to school anyway, the way I was looking. So I stayed home for about three weeks. And, you know, you can only watch so much you know reruns so i basically would just read and read and read and i read that was like the first time i read lord of the rings all the way through but i did i started reading a lot of stephen king i read it i read misery and i read um the stand all in that time period and those three books are the ones i was like whoa man wow well you picked some of the some of the best ones right Well, I, I, my friends would loan him. My friends would come to my window. It was pretty pathetic, actually. They'd come to my window. I had a friend of mine who was a big reader, and he said, "I said to him, well, I want to read some books.' And he would, he, you know, besides like a ton of comics and stuff, he said, "Well, here's some Stephen King," and he gave me like, you know, he said these are the best ones. So definitely, uh, more for me was like just the time that it happened. Just like a lot of things in life that imprint on you at a young age, it's just because sort of like when it happens to you. Star Wars imprinted on me because 
I was four when I saw it, and you know, in the back of my mom's uh, you know Cordoba at the drive-in theater, it was like the most insane thing I ever saw in my life. You know, it's just the right age at the right time. Well, I think it more than the stand. I mean, the stand too, but it more than the stand, and especially not necessarily misery, uh, is really relatable as a kid. Like for, for you to read that at like thirteen or fourteen, yeah, that that can that can certainly make a lasting impression that you, that will never uh, never because you know the, a good half of that book. It's about kids that age, right? Like, yep. and then the the other half is with uh, as uh, they return to the town when they're adults. But um, he just has a way of making his characters so relatable that um, you know, for a kid that's impressionable at that age, it could be really a, an affecting experience, uh, a dramatically affecting experience. Yeah, it's like. Um... If you, when you're a kid, you sort of recognize something that kind of is truthful, or at least it speaks to you a little bit. You know, kids can smell like BS a mile away, and like that's like the the movie. Like there was tons of movies made for for kids at my age in the '80s, but the one that always stands out to me as being like a true representation of what it's like to be a kid is this is um, Stand by Me, which was oh, sure you know um, it was the body that was a short story but when you watch that movie i'm like you know it's pretty truthful yeah you know what kids do sit around and speak talk filthy to each other and you know have those inane conversations about you know superman and mickey and uh, mighty mouse and you know what food would you want to eat and stuff like that i mean that 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 and i i mean that movie was a pretty good adaptation from the story the story i mean it's not changed all that much i don't think i think it's pretty Pretty much. It's pretty true to the story. It was Rob Reiner, right? Didn't he direct that? Yep. And uh, it's just one of um, one of my favorite. I still love that. I mean, that's one of my favorite movies. I uh, yeah, that I, was in that was in different seasons. Which yep. was the, that was uh, the first uh, the first collection of novellas, which I'd never even heard the term novella yeah. before, before Stephen King. But he's now since written. Uh, uh, a bunch of them, like you know, uh, novels, novel-sized books where there's four yeah. uh, stories that are too long to be considered short stories, and uh, also in the, also in different seasons was uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, he was he was firing on all cylinders when he wrote that stuff. Uh, yeah, those and those short stories, I think, are the ones that actually, with their adaptations, I think turn out better because. I think there's more room for the uh, for somebody to fill in gaps and things, and and I think also because the stories are so much more tight, you know. So I think they make for better adaptation. I think. And what's another one that was an adaptation besides Shawshank? There was oh, The Mist. Um, yeah. The which Mist. is not one of my favorite movies because the ending wasn't was something that Frank Darabont came up with. Um, probably one of the most horrific endings to any movie I've ever seen in my life. Um, I have no desire to watch it again. Uh, the story, I read the story, I thought it was pretty cool and creepy, but that ending in that movie just makes it um, horrible. Well, yeah, and it happened to be a story, one of his short, one of my favorites of his short stories. You know, there was a, there was a great uh, radio play uh, of The Mist that I'd had. I don't know if it was released as an audiobook like that or if it was an actual radio play but i know i had it somehow on cassette tape 
Hmm. And uh, just I listened to it over and over again because it was really high production value, great sound effects, and <laughs> um, it was such a it's such a great story. Um, now the the movie you're talking about uh, with Frank Darabont, he significantly changed the end yep. of. Uh, if I recall, the story ends in a way that's uh, for those of you that haven't read The Mist. It's basically about uh, a small town, which uh, you know Stephen King is uh, famous for his small uh, New England towns. That uh, is just for some uh, unexplained reason one day shrouded in this mist that covers everything, and then these creatures horrific creatures start to appear out of the mist and kill everybody and so a whole group of people hole up in a uh a, a supermarket um and uh it's about their struggle for survival uh but uh yeah frank the movie that you're talking about frank daravant significantly changed the ending in a way that was extremely shocking. I mean, we don't want to spoil it, but it was just an extremely shocking ending, even for somebody that wasn't familiar uh, uh, with the book, you know, or, or the story, rather. Uh, you know, anybody watching it would be just, as you said, horrified. Oh. Because it was just a terrible, terrible Well, the, the ending of the, the short story is, is ambiguous. Um, and I guess, I guess it doesn't really work for a movie, but... Um, that, he, he, he ends a lot of his stuff that way, Stephen King yeah. does, though. But you get a, always get a sense that there's some hope, you know. He knows he knows enough, and that's a mistake Frank Darabont made. He knows enough to leave you with a good feeling, you know, or at least something of a good feeling at the end of the experience, uh, which you you kind of have to have. You don't want to leave anything that you're coming to for entertainment yeah. just feeling sick to your stomach, you well, know. That's... Like, why, why? Why would you? Why would you subject yourself to that? That is like the reasoning um, behind the the Wrath of Khan ending being slightly changed from the original conception, which was, you know, Spock's dead. See you later. Um, yes. They added the whole uh, little Genesis planet um, kind of camera pan down to the the torpedo tube because at the test screenings, like the people were walking out like completely depressed because none of you know, Spock was dead and that was pretty much the end of the movie. Well, I mean, they, I think this, I don't remember exactly. I know that Nicholas Meyer who directed it was not thrilled with, with that ending. He wanted it to be the ending he conceived of, but I mean, you know, you want to have, it's still in the end, it's supposed to be entertainment and you want to leave the theater going, well, Spock's dead, but there is that thing on that, that torpedoes on Genesis. So that could be something It kind of would need, you need to have a little something there, but this, and, and this, the, the, the ending of the movie, um, is not only horrific, but you get, you get the, um, I don't, I don't know how to say this without spoiling it, but anyway, you get the solution to the problem of the movie, and the horror, and and then it makes the horror even worse. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> right, the, right, that's right. the only way I can really put it. And I literally, and I'm, I mean, I watch some messed up stuff. I've watched some movies that are just screwed up, and I've never, but for some, uh, for some reason, it just bothered me. I guess probably because I'm a parent and stuff. Anyway, watch well, yeah, the ending. The ending didn't work, but it was a great. Well, watch the movie. Actually, most of the movie is pretty well done and pretty pretty faithful to the story. Um, and I think that Frank Darabont does awesome stuff, certainly. Um, but I did not agree with that ending. I certainly left the movie theater in like a in a funk for like the rest of the day. I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to take that. Sort of like the way I've been in the last few days, thanks to Breaking Bad on Sunday. Um, 
no. I'm not going to spoil that for anybody who hasn't watched it yet, but let me tell you something. It's not only there's deaths, there's death of innocence, there's just the destruction of sand. I mean, it was something else that episode. I never saw so much uh, drama packed into one hour of TV. Pretty impressive stuff there. It really was. I mean, you knew it was coming, yeah. but by the same token, you just didn't conceive of how horrible you could actually feel seeing it <laughs> you know my wife was we were in, i was in you know in bed watching it my wife is sitting next to me and during one part i literally went oh no and she's like boy this is really bothering you i'm like i don't know it just is it's just uh, well, just the last the last 10 minutes of that episode like i mean you watch you watch that episode of breaking bad and you and you feel like how could this get any worse and it did and then and it did those last 10 minutes of that episode was probably the most heartbreaking yeah. moments I've, I've seen on tv in years i can't remember a more heartbreaking moment and uh this is um this is and if anybody hasn't watched it i mean i don't think that i've had a reaction to a tv show like breaking bad and i've been watching it since 2008 since the beginning um i, I can tell you that it's always a show that's made me nervous um, intense. Any show where somebody has a double life um, always is sort of kind of gets me a little on edge because there's always that fear of them getting discovered. But now you've come to with all these different characters in the show you sort of come to really um, get attached to them and when bad stuff happens to them it's uh, and it's like there's just a co- there's like a couple of characters on the show who I'm like I just want them to, to be okay I want them to be untouched by all this. And you know what? Nobody is. So it's like, right. yeah, it's good. It's got two episodes left. It's going to leave, um, it's going to leave a big hole in me. And I mean, well, that's I, what's amazing to me is that there's still two episodes left. It's crazy. Like any, any other show would have ended it with what we saw on Sunday. Yep. But, um, no, there's two episodes left. I mean, I don't know how they, they certainly can't top it, No. but you know, I'm sure they'll end it in a way that's, They've said that they, they believe the ending is going to be completely Vince, satis- satisfying. Vince Gilligan has said that he it is a, it is a, an ending. <laughs> there is an ending. It's not um, ambiguous, and that you know there is it is satisfying in a lot of ways. So that's fine. And if and, and Vince Gilligan, uh, I don't think I don't know what he's going to do after this, but I don't think that he'll ever uh, approach. The, uh, the the show that he made here, I, I know it's not sci-fi or anything, but Rico's talked about it a lot, and I I think that uh, when that show's gone, um, I got if only a few that I'm really uh, into right now, and Mad Men is ending next year, so it's like I don't know, but there's some good stuff starting this year. The Sleepy Hollow show is pretty. Um, yeah, I still gotta watch that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, so All right, back on top. Back on side, back on top. I get to, I digress. It's just that's cool. That's cool. All right. Well, we'll um, let's uh, let's do a little bit of uh, some biography on Stephen King here, a little bit. I mean, he's got a pretty lengthy biography, but I'm going to hit some high points here. Yeah. Um, he certainly has had an interesting life. There's no doubt about it. He's not a he's not like a normal guy. Well, he's normal, but I mean, he's not completely normal. Uh, there's definitely there's definitely something odd about the man. That's for sure. Yeah. He's. I, I think he's got. He he must he must have some type of undiagnosed mental illness that's very rare in humans uh but i mean it's 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 unbelievable the amount this man writes you yeah. know like the fact that he can write 
two or three books a year and have them come out so good yeah. it's just amazing to me but anyway go on okay. I'm, so I'm um, so Stephen King was born uh, in uh, September 21st 1947 hey uh, Saturday the day before this podcast is put out is his uh, birthday oh wow happy birthday happy birthday to Stephen King um in 1947. So in Portland, Maine, would you would you guess that Stephen King was from Maine? I never would have. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm probably about 90% of his books take place there. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, so when his dad, when he was two, his dad left a family. I mean, this is crazy. Under the pretense of going to buy a pack of cigarettes. I mean, people actually do that. I thought that was like just like a like a, a lie, but I guess that's horrible. Um, so his mother raised him and her his brother by him herself, and uh, they moved all over the place to Wisconsin, Indiana, Connecticut, um, and then when when they were eleven, uh, he came back to Maine. Now here's an interesting thing about Stephen King. It says that as a child, that he apparently witnessed one of his friends being struck and killed by a uh, a train. Um, but they but it says that he doesn't have any memory of it. But I guess his family kind of told him that. After you know going out to play with the kid, that King he came back and he was like you know speechless and in shock. And I guess only later did they re- they find out what happened. And uh, we're thinking that maybe uh, it might have left an imprint on him or something. Which Some I'm, early early childhood trauma. Yeah, maybe, uh, and certainly many many of his works have have that childhood trauma type of thing in it. Um, he says that. Um, his inspiration for writing horror fiction, uh, he, uh, he found a, a book of H.P. Lovecraft um, short stories uh, called The Lurker in the Shadows that was his dad's. And I guess the cover art had like a demon in the, in the, in the, in the caverns. And it was something that he, uh, he, he, he decided that that was something that just spoke to him for some reason. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I know, I know he spoke about some of his early influences. I mean, being born in 1947, uh, you can't help but be influenced by those early uh, EC comics. Uh, you know, the Vault of Horror and the Crypt of Terror, or Tales from the Crypt and the yeah. Haunt of Fear. Um, and you know, he talked about that in uh, Dance uh, Macabre, the early. Uh, uh, the early nonfiction uh, book that he wrote about his, uh, uh, you know, his his take on the uh, uh, important works in the genre in the horror genre, and you know, it's kind of a mix of autobiographical stuff yeah. and then his take on on uh, uh, horror and in, in, in media. Yeah, and uh, he talks about. Uh, his influence by those comics and actually that uh, we, we kind of share that because my dad uh, loved those EC comics too and bought the collections mm. and some of the early stuff that I read a lot of the early comics that I read were these horror comics so uh, 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 one of the one of the uh, works that he did was one of the early things that I got into was creep show that was kind of his homage to the EC comics of back in the day where he, he wrote, he based, uh, uh, four or five, uh, stories, uh, that he, some he had already written and some he wrote originally for, uh, uh, the film creep show. And at the same time released a comic book adaptation, 
um, in the style of those EC comics. So we had the whole thing where you had the the Crypt Keeper introducing all the stories, and Bernie Wrightson did the art. Oh, it was like a famous. I love Bernie Wrightson. He's yeah, brilliant, uh, famous horror uh, artist, and and uh, Jack Kamen was involved as well, who was one of the original artists that was still working in comics at the time in the 80s, but one of the original artists from those EC Comics days. He was involved uh, as well, and uh, I still have that. That's a treasured uh, part of my collection, that that comic book uh, uh, adaptation of Creepshow. Uh, Speaking of uh, Bernie Wrightson, um, they did a collaboration there, uh, Stephen King and Bernie Wrightson, in Cycle of the Werewolf. You've, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, which I, I just found. I was looking for it and looking for it, and I was in my garage and I found it. This old copy of it, and I opened it up and I just love. I remember as a kid loving those pictures, you know, like the Bernie Wrightson drew. And it's just like that's just sort of like a great. Um, yeah, that was released in a in a trade paperback, right? Where, yes, it's a trade paperback. Yeah, and uh, it was. Uh, a great story. I mean, it was, you know, a, t- a typical kind of horror werewolf story. Uh, you know, it was, uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, the art was what made that special in my opinion. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. It was, it, it was a great, and, and the movie, the movie was kind of cheesy, but it wasn't bad. It I like that movie. You know, I watched terrible. it. It was called silver bullet. And yeah. I, I watched it not about a year ago with my kids. And my son was actually kind of scared by it. But I, th- I think for, uh, you know, I think it was a pretty well done movie. And it actually kind of holds up. I mean, in my opinion. But then again, you know. <laughs> well, Gary Busey. It was Gary Busey before he was a total lunatic. Yeah, it was yeah, exactly before he was insane. And, and, and uh, Corey Haim. <laughs> that's right. That's, <laughs> in a wheelchair for the movie. Right. Yeah, it's it's a in a wheelchair that like makes you wish you were in a wheelchair. Right? <laughs> so got like you know like a motor on it and there. Jet engine. Right? Yeah, that's a that's a cool little uh, Bernie Wrightson did. I love that art and that just always stuck with me. You know that that book and I, I must have the copy of mine. It was just so dog-eared. You know, I just loved looking at those pictures. So yeah, that was a great collaboration. There was 1982 was Creepshow and 1983 was Cycle of the Werewolf. Uh, where he worked with Bernie Wrights. And I wonder if he did any, I mean, one of the, one of the things that Stephen King comes back to a lot, uh, is re-releasing his works, uh, some of his classic works with, uh, you know, beautiful illustrations by famous artists. And, uh, you know, he did that with, I think Salem's lot most recently. Mm-hmm. There was, there was one with, with gorgeous illustrations that was special edition, uh, hardcover that was released and uh, over the years he's done that a lot but the, those two uh, those two uh, Creepshow and Cycle of the Werewolf was really the first time he'd ever combined illustrations with uh, his writing and it was it was they were both very successful and of course opinion. then you know there's the editions of the uh, Dark Tower books that have illustrations in them so I mean uh, oh sure you know and those are great those are great too they you know they, the the he he has a. I think he just. He must really uh, have a somebody. He finds these people that have uh, that can kind of interpret his vision. So. So you were talking about his early influences when yeah. I uh, got yeah. there. Yeah, that's so. okay. Yeah. Um, it, just that it, it was the H.P. Lovecraft that sort of brought him into the more macabre. And and if you're interested in in a lot of that, that book you were talking about is called Dance Macabre. And, uh, and there was the other one. His biography is on writing, which is excellent. That book on writing, 
Um, I recommend listening to the audio version of it because he reads it himself. Um, it's it's excellent. It's it's excellent if you've ever done any writing or had any interest in doing writing because it's sort of he kind of goes into his process and it's also a biography about about his life. Um, well, what I found what I found the most in, yeah, the, there's it, it starts out uh, and ends with autobiographical stories. Yeah. He also he goes he goes into great detail because uh, that was around the time he had his car accident, yes. which, which basically changed his life forever and uh, uh, inspired him to finish the Dark Tower books, of, uh, which was good because I, I, I thought uh, for a while there, I thought he was never going to finish them. But he talks about that car accident there at the end of that book. But what I found most great about on writing is how inspiring it was. Like, even if you only had, like, the slightest inclination to write, you know, creatively, reading that book makes you convinced, I could do this, I could be a famous writer, and uh, it really, it really does, he tickles the, uh, the inspiration bone, like, I I get that too, because sometimes I'm a, a, you know, I'm an amateur guitar player, and there are times when you hear, when you might see a documentary on a band, or something like that, that uh, inspires you to want to just pick up the guitar and create music, you know, once in a while, that great work comes, comes about that great movie or that great book comes about that inspires you to make yourself a better person. And that book really did that for me when I read that. So yeah, highly recommended. Oh, I love that. I've, I've, I, and I've written a few things I've never, I mean, a few people have read some of the things I've written. I've over the, Time. I mean, I don't have the time that I used to to sit down, but when I did, it is it was um, always amazing how quickly that I I could lose myself in what I was writing, you know, and sort of it's just like um, time, be- you know, just becomes nothing, and you're just I'm just like focused on this world that I'm trying to create, and uh, yeah, it's definitely an, an inspirational book if you have any creative inkling um, at all. Well, that's your- part of the dangers too that he faced. It almost killed him. Sure. That type of that type that what just the kind of thing that you were talking about isolated him from his family, from yep. his kids, from his wife. Um, you know, he, he he's got a very strong marriage. You're talking about his personal life, Tabitha, which is what, yeah. yeah, his wife Tabitha, um, and uh, it survived a lot of a lot of stuff. Like, in fact, he uh, he had. Not, not only was he almost killed by the uh, truck or the van that ran him down oh, in the, the road. Yeah, the infection, yeah. Uh, but he was almost, he almost died from his addictions, alcohol and drug yeah. addictions. So we'll, we'll maybe talk more about that as we get into specific books. Yep. So. But, um, so Stephen King graduated uh, from the University of Maine with a Bachelor of Arts in English, and then he had a daughter. Um, he was writing a column for the uh, the student newspaper there. Um, and he took part in writing workshops. Um, he sold his first professional short story called The Glass Floor to Startling Mystery Stories in 1967. Um, and he left, he left college and he got a certificate to uh, teach high school, but he couldn't find a teaching post immediately. So he began selling some stories to men's magazines, uh, Cavalier one being one of them. And I guess a lot of these stories were published in Night Shift that he was, yeah, yeah. Um, he then married his wife, Tabitha, and he did get hired as a teacher and he continued to write short stories. And this is, uh, about the time where he got a drinking problem. He began his drinking that he, uh, for about a decade, he had a horrible drinking problem. Um, 
And in 73 was when Carrie, Carrie's his first novel, which is uh, timely because if you've seen the commercials, there's a new version of Carrie coming out in the theaters very soon. Yeah, I think next month it comes out around yeah. Halloween. And, Looks like uh, it's going to be a little bit crazier than the uh, old one. Looks like there's some more telekinesis going on. It's cool. Now, who's the, who's the girl? Who's that's the girl the- from Kick-Ass, I believe, right? Uh, Chloe Moretz? Yeah, I believe yeah. that's her name, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Carrie. Uh, that's, that was. It's not actually the first novel he ever wrote, but it was the first novel he ever published. Published, yeah. And... Uh, it's it's probably one of the most famous. Like I mean, if you if you ask the average person to name a Stephen King book, they'll probably, you know, three out of four might say Carrie. Well, know? it depends on your age, I think. <laughs> well, uh, I think it has a lot to do with the great movie they made. I mean, he he really hit it out of the park with his uh, first published works you know like it it was a great book it was hugely popular and then you know just two years later it came out to be a just a great movie what a what a fantastic carrie is with uh sissy space yeah sissy space and and piper laurie (laughs) yeah piper Piper laurie Laurie, that horrifying performance as the mom you know i mean what a what a i mean it, it I know we have some uh, some uh, pretty uh, heavily religious people that listen to the podcast all the time, um, and it uh, I can I can see how you could look at that character as being too much as a too much of a parody, you know. Yeah. But in 1976, I mean, okay, and I may not have seen it just then. I think I probably saw it on TV. Uh, a little later than 1976, but as a kid, I'd never been exposed to the fire and brimstone type of, uh, 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 you know, religious uh, 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 dogma that uh, you see uh, from that woman in that movie, and it was it was pretty terrifying. And then uh, that juxtaposed with like the kind of horrifying religious imagery too, like like the really uh, uh, kind of just, I mean, there's no other word to describe it other than just scary uh, depictions of Christ on the cross. You know, it was really, really disturbing hmm. um, uh, to me anyway. Uh, and, uh, you know, great performances though in that film. Um I think I probably, when I think of Carrie, I think of the movie more than I think of the book. The book was actually written, I don't know how many of you listening have read it, but it was actually written as uh, like a series of newspaper articles and letters. There's a specific term for that type of novel, and I forget what it is. Sort of like how Dracula was written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm not sure that holds up as well as some of his other early work um but the movie was just brilliant now uh i remember the most disturbing thing about that movie uh was seeing barbarino chopped in half you yeah. know <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> because your nose with a rubber hose <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's that was that was who john travolta was to me and uh seeing him kind of act like a real jerk in that movie oh, and yeah. then uh, his retribution was uh, it was it was pretty pretty dark. I'm, 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 I'll go see the new movie though. Yeah. Uh, you know that that movie that that book and has been adapted in 
uh, a lot of ways. Like, it's not it's not the work of his that you think would lend itself to that. But there's been uh, there's the original movie, which was great, and then there was a sequel. I don't know if you did you see Carrie Two: The Rage? No, you never, never saw that. Well, no, don't bother. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. But then they rebooted it. Yeah. In 2002, because they were thinking about making a TV series out of it. Now, can you imagine the concept behind this TV series was that Carrie survives at the end. She doesn't die. And she moves on from town to town, kind of like the Incredible Hulk, seeking out and helping other young (laughs) teenagers with psychic abilities. Oh, my. Uh, Yeah, so that that never got picked up. But um, the reboot... uh, was just so bad that I think yeah. people were like, yeah, you know what? Let's leave this alone. But I have high hopes for the movie. I've seen the preview. It looks great. Yep. And uh, I think Chloe is uh, a great little actress. I think she'll do a good job. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it's a terrific story. So Sure is. You know, the crazy thing about this, this is how fate and things like that and the people in your life can save your life. He threw that, he threw it away. He threw it away. He threw a manuscript away because he was getting frustrated with it. And his wife took it out of the garbage and said, no, you need to finish this. Yeah. And his advance for Carrie was 2500 But um, all said and done, the paperback rights earned him four hundred grand. So Not bad for your first time out. Yeah, so I mean, he had the uh, benefit of, of his first published book being basically a home run. I mean... Good for him. And, I mean, it's not like he didn't deserve it. I mean, the guy's a hell of a writer, and he's proved it a time and time again. So at the same time that Carrie was uh, was coming out, he was writing a book uh, that was called Second Coming, which was later called Jerusalem's Lot, and then it changed to Salem's Lot. Well, he had, he had uh, Salem's Lot was expanded from a story that he had published in uh, that magazine, Cavalier. Yeah. Now, uh, is Cavalier... Is that a porn magazine? I believe it's a... I think it's got s- some saucy stuff in it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think they probably stopped publishing it back in the 70s, too. I think maybe uh, some of its uh, more famous competitors like uh, Penthouse uh, might have uh, put them out of business. But, uh, okay, I just wanted to be clear yeah. about that. I just wanted to be clear about that. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, he had... He had uh, he had written Jerusalem's Lot, yep. which was like a prequel, and I'm pretty sure that that was published uh, before he uh, wrote Salem's Lot, and he kind of had the idea and expanded that. Yeah. So, but uh, okay, you were saying. Yeah, you were... it's okay. Um, so um, after Carrie was released, uh, his mother died, and uh, he took his family out to Colorado, and that's where he started writing The Shining. You know, so he seems to be uh, pretty uh, heavily influenced by his surroundings. I guess most of us would be, you know, especially if it's something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did come back to Maine, and then he completed his fourth novel, The Stand, um, which that's got to be the first time I read a book that was that big. But let's talk about The Shining a little bit. The Shining. Um, I think, again, might be something that you would think of the movie before the book, don't you think? Well, not for me. Not for you. I, I, for I me know, it is, because I, I saw the movie first. So maybe. I know what you mean, but The Shining, for me, was actually the first Stephen King book I ever read. Uh, and it was, 
I, I'll never forget because it was I was in eighth grade and I was reading it. Uh, it was one of my parents' copies, paperback, and uh, I was reading it. And my English teacher saw me reading it and started striking up a conversation. Now, this was an English teacher that I had a lot of respect for. She was an older woman. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you have those teachers that uh, you just feel like you want to impress. You know, you want to, you want to, uh, they inspire you to want to uh, be, uh, you know, uh, get some praise. Uh, right. And, uh, so when she came up to me and took an interest in what I was reading, um, and she actually asked if she could borrow it when I was done, which was pretty cool. Um, that made me kind of, uh, take a little bit, uh, maybe more interest in, uh, in reading and in English than maybe I'd had at that point. But, uh, to get back to the actual book, The Shining, it was, I mean, that's, I think it probably ranks as one of the most terrifying things he's written. Like he's, this is a man who's obviously known as being primarily a horror writer, whether that's a, a fair or unfair, um, you know, stereotype of his work could be debated for a long time because he's written all kinds of books, but he's primarily known for being a horror writer. And it's probably because of, uh, more than anything else, The Shining, which is a truly horrifying, horrifying story. It really is. Um, but I know what you're talking about because the movie, the the Stanley Kubrick movie, is one of the classics of all time. It's I mean, it's just I iconic. Have to... Anytime you have anything that's iconic, and that's just become iconic, mostly because um, the, you know Jack Nicholson chews the scenery sure. <laughs> literally in one scene. And um, you know this the 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 way that movie is filmed. I don't, and I got to be honest with you. If that movie was made nowadays, I'm not sure it would be a success because it's a very deliberate, slow moving movie. I mean, when you watch it, you realize, wow. I mean, we people used to have a lot more patience, and I'm fine with it because you know, I'm, I, I. But I mean, some people I would imagine might not, not might have a problem with it. But such a a movie is filled with. I don't see too many movies that are filled with that much dread the whole time. You just know that some bad stuff is going to go down, you know, yeah. just builds and builds and builds. Um, well, honestly, the, uh, you know, the, the, one of the interesting things about that movie, I mean, probably the majority of people that are Stephen King fans would probably agree that, uh, it's one of the best adaptations of his work. You know, it, it's certainly one of the most popular adaptations of his work. Uh, and there's been a lot of them, but interestingly enough, it's the one that Stephen King has always said that he uh, dislikes the most. Uh, even goes so far as to say he hates it. Wow. He's, uh, yeah. He uh, he uh, he he didn't care for uh, Stanley Kubrick. Um, he didn't think he uh, he thought he he glossed over what Stephen King felt were some of the more important themes in the book. And um, he thought that Jack Nicholson was the wrong choice as an actor uh, to perform uh, as Jack Torrance, the guy, the father in that story. Um, he uh, he felt that Jack, uh, because of because of uh, uh, Jack Nicholson's um, association with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which had come out uh, five years before, so I think it was 1975, that movie came out. And Jack Nicholson, it was probably his 
most well-known role at the time, playing a mentally ill man, uh, Stephen King thought it foreshadowed too much the fact oh. that, that the character was going to lose his mind. I love so that movie so much, though. <laughs> I love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's just one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, it's probably my top three books of um, all time, That that the... Uh, uh, the Ken Kesey novel and the movie as well. Also. I love that but, movie. I just, I can't, I, I'm sorry. I can't go over my, like them. There's, there's a few movies that I will watch and watch like, uh, like quote unquote, a mental patient. And yeah. that is one of them for sure. I just, I never that's, get tired. I never get tired of that movie. That's just, so funny. Me too. It's just, it's just like, um, there's so much, so much in there that's just such, so great. And 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 somebody like Brad Dourif, I believe that was his first movie. I mean, and he's been around forever at this point. And you see yeah, Billy Bibbit, Billy a Billy, and uh, Billy and Nicholson just, uh, yeah. I mean, but I mean, couldn't you argue that that's just kind of Jack Nicholson? He's kind of manic, or maybe known to be sort of nutty. And well, I know, think so, I think it's just an example of the uh creator being too close to the work to be objective like yeah i i I mean pretty much anybody besides the person that created that story is gonna see that for what it is which is just a fantastic piece of art yeah Um, did you see did you see the documentary that came out recently about the fans the the fans of that i really wanted to i were work i i I remember hearing about it and i think it's like room what's it called like room um room room 237 yeah that's right and it's a documentary about this, these various groups of people that um, have analyzed and analyzed and analyzed the movie of uh, the movie version of The Shining, right. and have uh, ascribed all kinds of uh, bizarre um, meanings behind uh, pretty much anything that you can see in that movie any piece of background scenery um any type of uh continuity error that you may pick up uh in that movie everything has been analyzed and uh given meaning uh to the point that um it's hard to know whether that movie is actually kind of looking seriously at some of these theories or causing you to it's really about the type of crazy people that are out there that overanalyze something to the point that it makes them seem uh completely insane but uh there's actually as, as a fan of the movie and a fan of the book there's some actually pretty interesting theories and a fan of stanley kubrick too yeah some, some very interesting things like uh kind of how he took sort of what a lot of people feel is uh kind of the popest of pop culture at the time that that novel and uh you know uh associated with theories about uh the abuse of native americans or the vietnam war and um all kinds of uh crazy crazy theories and one one of the craziest is the fact i remember the fact that the little boy that played danny torrance was wearing uh, a hand-knitted uh sweater that had Apollo 13 on it was actually uh, they used that uh, along with some other crazy clues that uh, appeared in the movie to uh, posit the theory that what 
uh, Stanley Cooper is actually saying in this movie was that the uh, Apollo moon landing was faked and that he had participated in the faking of the Apollo moon landings. And it was his way of uh, kind of letting the public know that he had participated oh, in, this, in this farce. Uh, yeah, it was uh, some, some of the some of the theories were crazy. Of all the conspiracy theories in the world, that's the one that irks me the most. That the greatest human accomplishment is a farce. Yeah. I just, um, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to even entertain that. Sorry. Well, even, even, even with that, uh, you know, kind of negative connotation there, there it's still a, a really interesting movie, a great movie. And if you've seen The Shining more than uh, multiple times like I have, uh, it was fascinating to kind of see things that you, uh, remember seeing in the movie and having them kind of these crazy theories described to them. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. yeah. So, um, I'll tell you what, well, I'm going to wrap up the bio, then we're going to hit some books, but let me just, uh, talk about his accent a little bit, which is sort of, um, probably one of the, you know, it's probably one of the top five defining moments of his life. There's no doubt about it. But in, uh, nine, in June of 99, he was on the shoulder of Route 5 in Lovell, Maine, and a driver named Edward Smith, who was distracted by his dog kind of running about in the van, um, hit King and, he, and uh, landed in a depression. Um, his, uh, he, uh, his, he, had a, he ended up with a collapsed right lung, multiple fractures of his right leg, scalp lacerations, and a broken hip. Um, so he was in, ended up staying in the hospital for about an, for about three weeks, and his leg bones were so shattered that um, they were going to amputate his leg, or they had considered it, but they were able to stabilize the uh, the bones. Luckily for him, um, and what what people don't uh, when he talked about retiring, which you remember from the early two thousands, I think it was around two thousand and two. Uh, the reason that he wanted to retire was because he just couldn't sit for long periods of time without being in horrible pain. And so, you know, he couldn't sit and write anymore, you know, sit at his desk. So, and I, I well, not to cut, not to cut you off, uh, stories of, uh, Stephen King's retirement have been long, uh, uh, I think they've been greatly exaggerated (laughs) because he's, I, I remember Way back at uh, the time that he published it, which was uh, you know one of his uh, uh, sure, surely one of his seminal works. That was way back in 1986. He uh, he said that was the last horror story that he was ever going to write. He yeah. said that that was something that it it, it covered because it covered every uh, classic horror element that he could think of at the time. He he, he shoved into that book. He said, this was going to be my last heart. So we know how that turned out. Yeah. And, and uh, he certainly, for, for a man that's talked several times over his career about retirement, he seems to still publish two or three books a year. Well, where I don't it came, think he, he hasn't taken a year off. Where it came from was that on his website, he announced he was going to stop writing. Um, and what he said was, this is on his website, was that I'm writing, but I'm writing at a much slower pace than previously and I think that if I come up with something really really good I will be perfectly willing to publish it because that still feels like the final act of the creative process um, 
blah 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 but the force of my invention has slowed down and that's as it should be so he kind of saw himself in 2002 sort of at the twilight of his career but we know now that yeah, I've I haven't seen him write this much in a long time. I mean, well, he certainly suffered some crippling uh, writer's block yeah. uh, over over his life. I mean, he's written about it a bunch of times, and he's written about it so well that you know he's experienced it. I think any creative person has experienced that at some time or another, and uh, you have various ways of dealing with it. You know, I mean, back in the day. Uh, before you know the accident, and I think the quote that you read was sometime around uh, the accident. It was after the accident. It was 2002, so about three years later. Yeah. So yeah, he was he was sober at that point, uh, uh, and I think probably the only drugs that he was doing were prescription drugs that he was for pain uh, from his accident. Um, but you know, over the course of his uh, uh, career, he he, and we touched on this a little bit earlier. He had uh, some horrible drug abuse problems, cocaine and alcohol specifically, and uh, it was so bad. At one point, he even said that he doesn't remember whole time periods. Uh, he doesn't remember writing this, this the book Cujo, wow. which was one of his books in the mid '70s, I guess, or the late '70s. He wrote that, I think, in uh, 1978. Eight was it or 1981? It was the early 80s. So mm. yeah, co- cocaine was real big in the 80s, from what, sure I, was. From what I hear. Uh, and uh, uh, but to not <laughs> to not remember writing a book. I mean, I guess when you've written 60 or so books, uh, you can forget one or two, right? <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever forget writing a book, but no. that's yeah, just me. Said, he said his his substance abuse was so bad at the time that he couldn't remember writing that book. It's interesting. Um, that uh, that accident made it into the Dark Tower. Uh, not to spoil anything, if you haven't read it, but Stephen King becomes a character in that series. In uh, yeah. the seventh book, I think that was when that happened. Sixth or seventh? I think it's the, it was one of the early ones, but he appears in both six and seven. Yes, yeah. as a I mean, it is a full fledged character. Yeah. It's a little bizarre, um, but listen, I mean. <laughs> It's his universe. He's the god of it, so right. why shouldn't he appear in it? Correct? Correct. Well, I mean, and, you know, if you're familiar with Dark Tower books, it probably wasn't the real Stephen King. No, it right? wasn't. <laughs> it Actually, was. I believe that's even addressed, I think, isn't it, sort of? I mean, I think, I think it is. Yeah. That's the coolest thing about, I mean, so we're talking about Stephen King and all his overall work and what's so appealing about it. One of the coolest things is how he ties so many of them together. Um you know, they all happen in the same universe or, and what you find out from the dark tower is that there are many universes and that they all kind of overlap and affect each other. And people from one universe, uh, exist in another universe and slightly altered in different ways. Uh, I mean, that, that's kind of the most appealing, uh, uh, some of the most appealing stuff about Stephen King's books is those little, Little clues and little tidbits that you only catch if you're uh, one of his, what he likes to call constant readers. Constant reader, yes. Yeah. Which I can't um, believe that at 40 I'm still reading Stephen King books. I thought I would have outgrown them, but I guess. No, never. That'll never no, happen no, to never. me. Um, so, yeah. Uh, well, I, I like I said earlier, I fully plan on doing a, a Dark Tower podcast just on that sit on that. Um, 
series because it's 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 it was for me as a as a as a as a, as a long time Stephen King reader. Um, I didn't read the Gunslinger first. I read the Drawing of the Three first because I I did I didn't know what it was. It was just another Stephen King book, uh-huh. and it was like such a cool book even not having read the gunslinger first that like and that was back in 85 86 really 80 i don't remember exactly it was in the mid 80s that i read that book and i've been waiting i waited how long did we wait till 2005 i guess is when it finally all ended 2007 okay 2007 so that's a long time. It's a twenty-something year. No, 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 no. You're right. Two thousand five, right? Oh, it was oh seven when the uh, I think the uh, it was oh four when Dark Tower Seven came right. out. He wrote. He he published five, six, and seven once a year until you know he. It was the car accident that uh, and the, his brush with mortality that made him realize that he didn't want to leave that what he considers his magnum opus. He'd always said that he considers that the greatest uh, achievement of his career, that series. Uh, and he didn't want to leave it unfinished by some type of untimely death, you know, that could happen at any moment. Uh, so uh, it definitely, that if it, if it accomplished nothing else uh, for him, uh, we were able to uh, complete the Dark Tower series. There were times over over the years where I thought he would never do it. I mean, he went. Uh, was it from between two and three? Was that the longest period? I think it was maybe. No, it was. Mm, no, it was between four and five. There's no doubt because um, two and three, three came out in I believe ninety one. Yeah. Um, and I think two. Maybe it is. It's it's pretty close because I think four was in ninety five. And then the, the Wolves of the Kala, that was... Oh, three. Yeah, so it might be might be between four and five. Yeah, but, well, there's about five or six yeah. years between each book. And then all of a sudden, bang, 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 we get three in a row. So and George, he's finish. a George R. R. Martin for a while there, you know. Yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. waiting on him to finish. But um, yeah. then we all we even got a, four, a book 4.5, which was uh, Wind Through the Keyhole, which is... Uh, which was a really fun read. I, I really enjoyed that one a lot. It was, it was. Yeah, that was just a couple of years ago, and that yeah. was a really that was a that was a nice little story. Yeah, it was nice. It was like because we'd already gone through the the whole ending of the Dark Tower series, so then you get this little uh, time where it's just rolling to telling a story. But that's sort of what Wizard and Glass was really. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I was fine with it. and I really enjoyed it. I, yeah, Wizard and Glass was actually that was book four yep. and and wizard and glass was my favorite of all the dark tower books because just i thought the story was so strong you know there were so many elements of the story that i loved so much uh the romance you know the humanization of him like up to that point he was such an undefined character yeah but, but four you got to know who roland was you know and uh uh and we're not going to go into it. Uh, you know, count me in when you're ready to do your Dark oh, yeah. Tower podcast because uh, I've I've loved them. You know, they're some of my favorite books of all time, one of my favorite series of all time. I've read the comics and I uh, read all the books multiple times. So uh, we'll we'll have a lot to say about that one. There's a lot to cover on that, and uh, it, it deserves it. Like I said, there's just so much there. But yeah, but right before book four, Roland was basically the man with no name. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, in book four, he became a full-fledged character by having a, a backstory that and 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 a pretty tragic one. Um, so made him a lot more human. 
But um, why don't we start running down some some books and and, and chatting about them? Uh, All right. Well, we we'd already talked about The Shining a little bit, but uh, you know, one of the things I'm most looking forward to right now is in just uh, a few days from now we get the sequel to The Shining. Oh, can't wait for that. Doctor Sleep, it's called, and can you believe it's even happening? Like I, that, like what, what a, what a kind of shot from left field. Like he announced a few years ago that he was thinking about doing it, and caused an explosion of excitement from his fans because it wasn't even, uh, you know, I mean, who, I who, it's not, it wasn't on anybody's radar. Exactly. Exactly. Know? And uh, I, um, I, I have for the last. Certainly, for thanks to Amazon, I just when something like Stephen King, I'm like, oh, pre-order, and then I totally forget about it, and then I'm like, oh, I'll have a new Stephen King book to read because I pre-ordered it from my my past self is helping my future self. But um, <laughs> did you read? There was an excerpt in the latest I, Entertainment uh, Weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Did you I read did. it? I did. I did. I started to. I read the first paragraph and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do it because I want to. I want to experience it all. Like I tend to engulf Stephen King. The novels. thing I'm looking forward to the most in that book is that you just know that there's going to be uh, Danny having some recollections of what happened after The Shining, you know. And I'm really curious to see what Stephen King, um, what he, what he comes up with there. I'm really interested in in the the fallout from that. So. Well, I'm 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 a little nervous about it because as we talked about when we talked about The Shining earlier, it is probably the most horrifying, frightening thing he ever wrote. Like, I mean, and that's of course arguable because he's written a lot of horror fiction. I'd say that Pet Cemetery is pretty horrible. <laughs> um, I think Pet Cemetery is more horrifying. Yeah. Than just scary. Scary, you yeah. know, like some of the. I mean, just the concept of losing a child like that—that's that, that, what I'll—that's what I'll never uh, forget from Pet Cemetery. But just straight out balls out, scary is what I'm talking about, and The Shining delivers when it comes to that those types of scares. Now, I don't think Doctor Sleep is going to be that kind of book. I don't know that Stephen King can write that kind of book anymore, and there's uh, nothing that he's written in really recent memory that would you know kind of convince me that he's capable of doing that yeah because like his last book that just came out joyland um while there is some horror elements to it it's not the focus of the book at all um there's some supernatural yeah a little bit of supernatural elements but i mean it's actually really a nice story it's like a pretty moving story at the end i was like i was reading that i mean that book just came out so i won't really get into it too much but at the end of that book i was like rolling a tear and i'm like damn you stephen king i mean (laughs) you're not supposed to do this to me but i mean he just has this way of making you care about his character he really does yeah so i mean he's 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 i say that he's still doing so i think he's doing some of the best writing i think that and it's a different style i think 11 22 63 one of the best books I've read in like 10 years, no doubt about it. So, I mean, yeah, when I read that book, it just rocketed to the top of uh, yeah. uh, my list as far as kind of favorite favorites and, of favorites of his for sure, but favorites of all books, yeah. really. I think that they're making a movie out of it, I heard. Um, 
Oh, really? I hope they do because I think that that his time travel um, that he comes up with in that book is so unique. Well, it's the kind of thing that everybody has thought of. I mean, it's not a when you think of time travel, it's the first thing anybody thinks of when you know yeah, what, it, what, what are you going to do? You're going to either go back and kill Hitler, or you're going to go back and stop the assassination of John F. Kennedy. You know, and uh, he manages to take something that's so could be so hackneyed and could be so uh, uh, just you know silly. And he turns it into such a compelling, fascinating story. Just some of the even basic concepts of time travel, he turns that, on its ear. Awesome. The, the way that, that the mechanics of it yeah. um, and the returning to the present and then having to go back. Um, to, and it's it just, uh, it was a really cool way to do it. I, I really... Um, was it, it was it was it's because like I think every great time travel story has its own unique view of time travel. I think Back to the Future at the time was its own unique versions of time travel and the the, the, the time machine and the, certainly the, this story has its own unique way of dealing with time travel and the ramifications of it and 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 the and the, that he go that the main character can see the uh, the. Um, the ripples and the and the ramifications when he goes back and decides <laughs> he just can do it and and all right I well, I don't I guess I don't want to ruin it but yeah we can't it, I'm trying to think the, of a way the unique the unique way the unique thing is that he, the, the 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 character is limited to how many times he can go back right because um he can't I guess this isn't really spoiling anything he can't choose um when he goes back he goes back at a set time on a set day. So that and that means if say if you wanted to say stop 9/11 from happening and you went back in time but you went back in time and you go back to 1997 that means you got to wait 4 years um well if you fail <laughs> how many times can you do it before right, you're still aging you're aging you're aging 4 years and then you come back to 2013 and now you've aged 4 years in a minute um, it will, it changes your life. So, um, well, I, I really, I, you know, I'm trying to think of a way to talk about the last section of that book oh, it's without great. spoiling it. And really just to say that the, um, kind of concept of some of the ramifications of the things that he does throughout that book is something that you never could really imagine. And it's so original and it's brilliant. Um, yep. uh, I would, I have to, I have to recommend that highly. If there's a, if, if there's any book that you, uh, have, uh, not read of Stephen King's that you're thinking about picking up, that's probably the one I'd recommend the most yeah. to start with. I would agree with you because it's very accessible. Um, and, um, it, it just deals with like, it just the character dealing with time travel. is just sort of like, you know, he's a, I believe he was a teacher, and uh, he's just a regular person that meant that is, it has this uh, this, uh, this uh, crazy. <laughs> I, I I don't want to get into it too much, but it's a it's a great book. I got it was given to me for Christmas a, a couple of years or what last year I think. And yeah, it came out in, in at the end of the year in 2011. And, yeah, 2011. Uh, yeah. And it's uh, so I mean you can easily pick it up uh, anywhere. So definitely seek it out. I you get it. Get it and read it before you. See, if they make a movie or anything out of it, 
or a miniseries, read the book because there's no way that they're going to live up to the book. The book was just uh, it's it's just one of the one of the best books out in the last decade. And I, going back, let's talk a little bit more about his early career. Sure. Um, we, we we left off talking about The Shining, mm-hmm. and um, it was around that time that uh, he his popularity started to really rocket. Um, he was already, you know, Salem's Lot was a big hit. Carrie was a big hit. The Shining was a huge, huge hit. And um, the deal he had with his publishers is that he could only write one book a year. They didn't want to, they were worried about diluting his brand and making it, uh, you know, making him too much of a household name, I guess. I don't know. They wanted they wanted to keep the uh, anticipation and uh uh, appeal maybe artificially uh, uh, inflated uh, for his next book. So what he did was he created a kind of alter ego, um, Richard Bachman. And the next book that he published after The Shining was actually not a Stephen King published book. It was called Rage. And uh, it was released the same year as The Shining uh, under the name Richard Bachman. Mm. And he wound up uh, doing four or five books as this uh, 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 and then nom de plume uh, uh, of Richard Bachman uh, alongside some of his more uh, uh, famous books and uh, it was very interesting how, I mean he, he described it later on, he's written a number of essays about his experiences as Richard Bachman and um, he's done some more kind of crazy creative things with that he actually Bachman became a character at one point and uh, he's done some kind of crazy creative things with with uh, that character uh, uh, after the point that he was outed but uh, before that uh, you know those four or five books didn't do that well you know they weren't they weren't able to uh, pick up and and some of them are some of his better works of of the time, more serious kind of interesting works than uh, say something like, uh, uh, well, I I don't know that I'd necessarily go that far because, you know, what was he releasing at that time, but the stand and the dead zone and uh, you know, some, some great, great, great stuff. But uh, you know, he released rage in 1977 and the long walk in 1979. So, I mean, here's a guy now it's perfectly fine to release two or three books a year under the name Stephen King. But for some reason, back in the 70s, that was a no-no. So he had to write under a different name hmm. in order to get all these stories out there. Um, but, uh, you know, after that was published, Night Shift came out. You had described that a little bit earlier. Yeah. And what is, what's amazing to me about Night Shift, when I was looking at... Uh, I mean, I love those stories. They were mm-hmm. so They were so great. But so many of them, I think probably 90% of them, have been made into movies. No kidding. I mean, they're yeah. TV shows. You know, they, there's they, almost all of them were adapted. And there were a lot of stories in that book. Lawnmower Man, Children of the Corn. Uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes They Come Back. Yeah, that was it. That was an actually uh, pretty good TV uh, TV movie. That was, that was one of the better stories in that book, I think. Uh, Children of the Corn, of course, created... Uh, there was like eight of those movies, weren't there? Yeah, no, I've seen, I saw the first one, and that's it. So I don't know what happened after. I haven't seen any other. I mean, they were basic slasher flicks that yeah. had nothing, nothing to do with uh, Stephen King. 
Um, but also, uh, Graveyard Shift was made into a movie that about yep. the giant giant rat in the sewer, and The Mangler, which is one of the weirdest ideas for a story you could ever imagine about a demonically possessed folding machine. <laughs> <laughs> Industrial, an industrial folding machine that gets possessed by the devil and kills uh, a bunch of uh, garment workers. <laughs> Doesn't seem fair. Uh, and they actually made a movie out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the Lawnmower Man, uh, bizarre, like the movie had nothing to do with the story. Yeah, it's so However, weird. When I saw that movie, I was like, I have no idea what, what I just saw. <laughs> yeah, what, what exactly is this? Um, but then... Uh, uh, they also made the movie Cat's Eye, yep. which is one of uh, 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 Drew Barrymore's earliest uh, earliest films. She was still a little kid when she was in that. But then the two uh, two of the best stories in in Night Shift were in that movie, uh, The Ledge and Quitters Incorporated. Uh, so uh, pretty amazing to me that like only like two or three of the stories in that book <laughs> weren't adapted into films. Yeah. But then that same year, one of your favorites I know was published. Oh, I love the stand. Yeah, I just love it. I have, I love it so much that you know, I've I even watched the miniseries. I have it on DVD, over and over again. And it's not it's not a great it's not the greatest adaptation in the world. That's for for sure. I mean, well, that it, was Darabont, wasn't it? Wasn't I'm not that? sure if Darabont did it, but it was good. It's a good. It's certainly still very watchable. Um, but I, I've heard rumors that they're going to, somebody wants to tackle it again. So oh, really? I think it would be cool to do it in the, in a little bit more of an adult way, proper, a little bit more, uh, of a better adaptation, but listen, it was good. A I, tri- I, a trilogy or, uh, would it be a standalone? I think it would just be a standalone. I don't, I, I would like, I think the stand could be done like Lord of the Rings, to be honest with you. It really could. Um, yeah. And it's the first, like I said, it's the first book that I ever read that was like that sort of daunting. Like that's the book when you're like a kid that somebody goes, "Oh, look at the stand, man!" And I remember like when they put it out, and, and you like in your notes here, you say they put it out with 400 pages, and you're like, "Why?" Because and it's longer. Oh my god! But I mean, well, yeah, because in, in in 1990 they uh, they re they re released it in what they called the uh, uncut unedited version or what what exactly was the it had that weird like yeah i remember the i remember the book yeah it was the stand complete and uncut and it was uh all the things i mean when he wrote when the the novel that was released in 1978 was almost 900 pages it was like 850 pages something like that and that was after cutting out 400 pages of material because the the his publisher probably rightly so thought that you know you can't walk around with a 1200 page tome uh, <laughs> so uh uh Back in yeah, in, in 1990, he re, he re-released it. Uh, at that point, he could write his own ticket yeah. and do whatever he wanted to do. So he re-released it with uh, all the additional material, and he actually added a few things that tied it in uh, more uh, completely to the Dark Tower series, which he uh, loves to do, as we talked about before, and um, made some changes. But uh, uh, you know, I think it, the whatever version of the stand that you read it's a classic um you can i don't know if that you can still get the original version but uh it's uh it's really the first 
epic novel that he wrote. You yeah. know, it's like it has that epic quality um, that he goes back to time and time again with books like it and then the Dark Tower series. And I think that the stand is uh, would be it would be uh, in high fashion right now, considering it's like a it's sort of a um, post-apocalyptic sort of story, and that's sort of pretty big right now. So, um, I, I yeah, yeah, I would mind strike while the iron is hot. I wouldn't mind seeing a good adaptation of it. I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I love the I love the TV version. I, re- I recorded that on VHS off the oh, TV yeah. myself when uh, when uh, when it first aired, and when I was uh, that was at a time when I was very into making the most pristine uh, VC VCR recordings, like possibly cutting out the commercials. Cutting yes, cutting out the commercials. I had, <laughs> was an expert at hitting that pause button. Oh, yeah. um, but I had to you know, know how many, a, had to know how many. Uh, ticks your pause button actually went yeah oh yeah you know i remember i remember those days <laughs> Science, there's a science to it for sure i was good at it yep. um and uh never I, there was not a a, a a finer example of my prowess than the season finale of star trek the next generation uh-huh. when that aired i got that absolutely perfect and i watched it over and over and over again and was so proud of myself <laughs> I, I don't have a real problem with this the uh, miniseries i i hunted it down on dvd i was having a hard time finding it and i found it uh in a collection with some other of the uh, stephen king miniseries that i don't really want but it was it was a good price uh, they did a great job it was yeah. uh you know i mean it's a huge amount of material so they did the right thing i think it was a four-part series or uh something like that and uh uh, they had some, you know, pretty A-list uh, actors involved. There Gary was Sinise, yeah. Gary Sinise, who's great. You know what a fine, what a fine job he did, and it was Molly Ringwald's big comeback. Like she hadn't been around for she a long good, time. Man. Yeah, yeah, she was great. She um, I still have a hard time believing that that song was a hit, though. Sorry, not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> Baby, can you dig your man? man yeah, sorry, it doesn't, <laughs> it's not. It's a horrible title, and the song they they it doesn't sound like a hit. So it's well, sort of like Unlost that 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 um the song that Charlie's band had a hit with. I'm like, it doesn't sound like a hit. Sorry. Stephen King, Stephen King is definitely a better writer than he is a musician. Uh, <laughs> although I know he he has it's a band uh, that he plays with, and uh, one of his most recent written works was a Broadway or oh, it wasn't a Broadway musical but it was a musical um, I forget what it was called exactly uh, but it just came out in uh, 2013 uh, that he wrote with uh, John Mellencamp um, gosh I, I keep getting emails about it because I'm on his mailing list but I can't remember the title of it um, in any case uh, let me look it up real Ghost Brothers of Dark Darkland County. <laughs> it's it's a it's a play and it's a musical, uh, written uh, collaborated with John Mellencamp uh, over the last uh, uh, few years, and it's it's uh, uh, it's it first played in Georgia in 2012, and uh, there's a touring production that's starting out uh, some point at the end of this year, so it may be coming to a town near you. Check it out, Ghost Brothers of Darkland County. Okay, well let's uh, let's at least try to get through the '80s here. We'll uh, talk about some of these books a little bit. Um, uh, we'll, so where were we? We, were, we left off with the stand, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, now there were two. There were two. Uh, was it? 
uh, no, there was only one kind of. It wasn't really a sequel. Um, it was also there's a story called Night Surf and Night Shift, mm-hmm. which oh I think I think the stand might have been uh, expanded. Yeah, from, the stand was expanded story. from Night Surf. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was a Bachman book that came out called The Long Walk in 1979, and uh, the book that he wrote as Stephen King in 1979 is another one of my favorites, both in the movies and uh, in his fiction, and that was The Dead Zone. <laughs> you know, it is a great movie, a great book, but all I can think of is that SNL sketch where Christopher Walken shakes people's hands. And, you know, how in the movie, you know, he shakes, he gets that look on his face. And he gets that big shock. Right. Well, (laughs) in the the SNL sketch, he shakes people's hands and just gives them, like, random, you know, not useful looks at their future. (laughs) You're going to stop. You're going to order an ice cream cone. (laughs) You're going to eat it too fast. You're going to get an ice cream headache. You know, (laughs) it's just like... I just, I just, I don't know why. I just always, always think of that. That, but Christopher Walken on SNL, just a classic. But that is, a, that is a good. It's a, another great movie. Um, what a great performance! I mean, one of his, one of his iconic characters for sure. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Walken and uh, Martin Sheen. Yep. Uh, as Greg Stilson in that movie. Um, I mean, it, just it's a great idea. It's a great story, and it's, you know, kind of. Before it's time, you know, it's been done over and over again since then, but I can't think of, I mean, I, I guess if you go, you know, someone that's more of a student of the genre than I am could give examples, but to me it's the earliest example I've ever uh, read of like a kind of psychic helping out with the police and, you know, all that kind of thing. It was, seemed original to me at the time, you know? Yeah, I'd say so. So, so uh, it was just a uh, really really nice now wasn't uh who played his uh his girlfriend in that in that uh was it karen allen yeah 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 i believe it was karen allen she was and she did a great job too and was just lovely and beautiful in it like uh, another one of my favorite movies uh, uh adapted from a stephen king story but also one of one of one of his greatest books and uh uh, right after that was probably not. Might have been. Might have been one of his first whiffs. Yeah, you know. I'm gonna agree with you. Uh, and that was Firestarter. Um, it, it's kind of. Uh, he touched on some themes there that I think he went a little bit overboard with, uh, and uh, uh, he he was uh, he's gone back to the well uh, a bunch of times over his career about the kind of the perils of a government, uh, government conspiracies, you know, and shady government organizations that, uh, the story behind Firestarter is that there's, uh, you know, two, two, uh, a a man and a woman, uh, are, uh, participating in government experiments with, uh, drug induced, uh, 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 states and, uh, develop uh psychic powers and they wind up uh falling in love and getting married and having a child who's born with these incredibly powerful uh pyrokinetic abilities and then wind up on the run from this shady government organization um i don't know it just seemed a little bit 
you know, it's 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 hard to say. You can't you can't really criticize uh, a Stephen King novel for being far fetched, but <laughs> it just didn't it didn't seem real to me. It didn't seem uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I mean, you said you agree. What, you weren't a big fan of Firestarter. Ah, uh, no, I I didn't care for the movie particularly, and I didn't really care for the book. I mean, you have George C. Scott in the movie, and kind of anything that he's in is uh, has to have some redeeming qualities because he was great as Rainbird. Um, but uh, by the same token, not really. I mean, I think the character was supposed to be uh, an, a Native American, and George C. Scott's about as far from that as you can get. <laughs> uh, but in any case, uh, it was uh, you know not one of my favorites, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went through kind of uh, a rough period in the early eighties. Uh, you know, I think his, he had, he's, he's come out and said, uh, in some of his autobiographical material and interviews that that was when his drug problem was starting to reach its peak. And when you look at these, like the uh, fire starter Cujo, I think people, they were, I think these movie social movie studios were just like, yeah, Stephen King, let's get it. Let's get it made, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like quality, not necessary. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, or something, or something that's really adaptable or something that would make a good movie even, you know what I mean? So, yeah. 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 I mean, they had been such hits and there were low budget hits with great, returns you know like carrie and and uh carrie and uh dead zone. uh the dead zone and uh some of those uh some of those adaptations of uh of uh uh the short stories had been just so so popular and made so much money that uh you know they saw a big cash in um now you know, Cujo wasn't bad. I mean, there were definitely some tense moments in Cujo. Yeah. Um, but uh, it just uh, there's there's something about it that 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 it doesn't it doesn't rank up there uh, with uh, some of the things like The Stand. And yeah. The Shining. You know, it's just it's just not. Uh, I mean, I guess when you're when you're writing two or three books a year, you know, sixty eight books and how many hundreds of stories over the course of your career you're bound to have some that are that are misses and uh even even something like uh uh Cujo is near the near the top of uh what you might consider some of his lesser works <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> so there was a there was a another Bachman book that came out called The Running Man after Cujo uh, and that was actually the book where, uh, uh, oh no, I'm, I'm sorry. It was the book Roadwork, which came out right before Cujo, yeah. uh, that where he had left too many clues. He likes to sprinkle little clues in right. to, uh, to kind of, uh, you know, let just little inside jokes uh, we talked about that for his constant readers and he did that about one too many times, I think, in the book Roadwork, because he made mention of characters and situations that were in a short story in the Night Shift uh, collection. And uh, people started to realize that Bachman was king and king was Bachman, and he blew his own cover <laughs> by doing that. 
Um, but he managed to get another two Bachman books out before the cover was fully blown. And uh, in 1982, uh, the first Dark, Power, Dark Tower book, The Gunslinger, yeah. was released. Hold on a second. We, running Man, real quick. Okay. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Go back. Sorry. Um, I can't leave an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression undone. So <laughs> hold on a second. Let's hear it. Sub Zero. Now, Plane Zero. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Dark Tower Gunslinger. Did Seven. you read? Did you read? Did you read Running Man? I never read that book. No. No. It's nothing like the movie. Yeah, I I don't know that that movie was great only because Arnold was in it. So I mean, <laughs> um, well, and, and Richard, Richard Dawson. Too. Richard Dawson, of course. Only in a rerun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, now you you want to talk about important Dark Tower man, the Gunslinger, um, yeah. and it's not it's not it's it's not that long a book. I think it's about two hundred something pages tops. Well, yeah, and and I was when I was doing some research preparing for this uh, podcast, I found something out I didn't know in that the Gunslinger was originally published uh, in installments. It was uh, five five uh, short stories that were published over. Uh, uh, a four or five year period yeah until it was eventually released as a book so uh to, that, that's pretty interesting to me that it it kind of took so long to develop and uh, uh yeah into what it became and we will like i said we will cover that yeah. i promise but we we we're, we've already been uh yakking for about an hour and a half so oh, well maybe we should uh maybe we should you know, kind of end with the early '80s, and uh, yeah. when we pick this up, uh, maybe we can pick it up sometime uh, around Halloween or after Halloween, something yeah, like that. Always, and, you know, there's always a, a chance to come back again. I mean, it's 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 we're not going anywhere. I just, uh, you know, since we've all been sort of posting what we've been reading, and I've seen like, oh, and Joby seems to be liking Stephen King. <laughs> And then, um, as a matter of fact, speaking of of forum members, um, I do have an audio comment this week uh, from uh, David. I'm going to butcher this, David, uh, your last name. I think it's Chaffetz. Um, If I got it right, then way to go. If I didn't, I'm very sorry. Uh, He's a Praxis on the Trex and Sci-Fi forum. By the way, if uh, you're not a member of the forum, come to the forum and join. Send Rico an email. I think it's uh, at treksf at gmail. Sign up. We we have a nice little community going there. Yeah. um, David sent us in a comment. Uh, It was nice for him to to take the time out. He just had a baby girl. New dad. No, I remember. Congratulations, man. Yeah. You don't know what you're in for. Yeah. Yeah. I'm four deep. uh, (laughs) Me too. And uh, I I do miss those early days. Those are the those are really awesome. It's an awesome time because uh, you're like all of a sudden realizing that you're responsible for a human being and it's uh, unsettling and awesome at the same time. But here, let me play David's uh, comment and we'll be right back. Hello, this is David. Praxis on the forums. First of all, I'd like to say thanks, guys, for letting me send in my comments on Stephen King, one of my favorite writers of all time, and I'll try to keep this short and sweet. Probably overall, my favorite work by Stephen King is his Dark Tower series, particularly book four and five of the series I think are just excellent. The character dynamics are all firmly established, and their interactions are really interesting. 
And in book four, Wizard and Glass, with the story within the story, you really get to know why Roland is the man he is and all the things he's gone through. And his experiences as a teenager are just really thrilling, really some of the most exciting stuff that Stephen King has done. And how could you not love a series that starts like this? The man in black fled across the desert, and the gunslinger followed. So good, that's got to be the best first sentence of a book or series ever. In my opinion, King's greatest strength is probably his ability to write short stories. He is a master of the short story form, and to me that's probably the most impressive feat for a writer. So for someone who is unfamiliar with his work and wants to start out, I would probably suggest any of his short story collections would be great, or 112263, or The Shining, which is just classic. 112263 is just overall an accessible and exciting and interesting book, while still having lots of threads that tie in with the rest of King's universe, his Dark Tower universe that the longtime fan can really appreciate. If I had just two criticisms of King's work, and they're really just nitpicks, but, you know, once in a while his dialogue can be a little cheesy, and even he has admitted this. He, he says in his book on writing that he has a tin ear for dialogue. I'm, I'm not sure that's accurate. I think he's it's pretty excellent, but every once in a while it's a little cheesy, but his skillful characterization and internal dialogue more than makes up for any difficulty with the speaking. And the only other criticism is that in some of his books there can tend to be a little bit of drag, not in the middle, not in the end, but near the end of the middle. It can just kind of drag out a little bit, but really I don't mind. It really makes the ending even more special. And I like that for Stephen King. It's all about the journey, the process, the meat of the story, the journey of the characters and their development. That's where the joy is. And it's not just about the end result. His books are typically enjoyable from the first page until the last page. Anyway, those are some of my thoughts on who I think is one of the greatest American writers of all time. And thank you, Sai, or should I say size? And remember, all things serve the beam. Okay. Thank you, Cy. David. Um, I, I got to agree with his choices. He likes uh, Wizard and Glass. Uh, Wool and Wolves of the Kala are his favorite books in the Dark Tower series. And I got to say, those are two great books in that series, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, Wiz- Wizard and Glass is my favorite by yeah. far. And he loves the, uh, the short stories. Um, and eleven twenty two sixty three and the shining, which we all both with which we both uh, really like, and got agree with him on some of the dialogue being cheesy. I think Stephen King. Yeah, there's something about uh, and there's something about the way his writing comes off on the page that's different when it's read aloud. Uh, I think he's been less successful with his writing when he's writing uh, screenplays and when he's writing dialogue for films, um, you know, I, I completely agree. It just, it, it sounds cheesier. There's something about, and, and it, it's possible that it's the actors, like on some of his lesser uh, TV productions, you don't get the best actors. You know, you get yeah. guys like Steven Weber, you know, who's <laughs> Steven, Steven Weber's great on wings, you know, one of my favorite shows from the eighties, but, uh, uh, you know, he's not, a he's not, uh, Robert De Niro or Jack Nicholson. And, 
Um, wasn't my choice for Jack Torrance. That's for darn sure. <laughs> you, you really, you really have to uh, uh, be a special kind of actor to pull off sometimes some of the stuff that's written on the page. Yep. And uh, but uh, as you said, some of the, uh, the 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 things that they say in his novels when you've got a real clear sense of who you're I mean that's his gift is to really make you relate to the people the characters in yeah. his books um, to make you care and to make you understand their motivations uh, and to make you feel like this is how I would react in this situation you know or this is what would I completely I can completely understand what this person is going through yeah. and feel it along with them um, and yeah, it's not because of the dialogue. It's because something else. It may be intangible. I'll have to read on writing again to see what he has to say about yeah. it. So, um, work. It's kind of timely. Uh, Doctor Sleep is coming out on Tuesday. This is going to be released on the twenty second. So you have um, Amazon right now. The pre order price is fifteen bucks. Oh wow! And that really? is way cheap. Yeah, and I'm lucky since I'm a Prime member. Which, if you use Amazon a lot, you should be. See, I got no shipping, so it's like fifteen bucks straight, and I got a book, a new brand new Stephen King book. So, you can't beat that, man. So, if you if you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday, and you can pre-order it, and you're interested, you'll get it for a good price right now. So, yeah, I can't wait. I'll be I'll be done. I'll be done by Thursday probably. I'll yeah, I know. Up, I'll be up for forty-eight hours. I know that's the only thing, and I wake up very early. But these these darn Stephen King books, it's like they kind of keep me up later than I would normally because and i gotta tell you i i'm prone to falling asleep while reading and normally i go uh with uh, let's see that joyland book even i was like all right i'm just gonna get to 100 i gotta I'll, and i'm going to sleep because i can't stay up <laughs> but uh that's stephen king for you man it keeps you reading so and right, well, uh, again i'm gonna uh, apologize again if anybody thought this was some kind of uh definitive look at stephen king it's, it's just sort of Wanted to go over some 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 high points and some 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 early stuff, and we're gonna we're gonna do it again, probably more than once. I would say for sure we're gonna hit Dark Tower for sure. I would love I'd love to hit the the stand, and I'd like to look at some of the adaptations, uh, the movies and miniseries. So we got all kinds of stuff we can cover, but it was nice to kind of get our uh, our toe in the water here. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was it was a it was a good conversation. I'm looking forward to getting back into it. Yep. So um, next week, uh, you're going to have Rico uh, with uh, Jen and Angela, the Anomaly Ladies. And they're going to be discussing, I, I, from the gist I'm getting is just in general, like Trek fandom, which should be an interesting conversation. I know that they're going to be going to that um, convention together soon, too, So uh, in Texas. So looking forward to hearing that. And... Uh, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, yeah, I hope you hope you guys enjoyed this. Something a little different from the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Yep. Uh, and uh, we will we'll be back. We'll be back with the Dark Tower probably. So. All right. Bye bye everybody. Bye.